Well, it's my privilege to be concluding the hashtag blessed series with you this morning. And I'm curious to know if we have any fans in the house, any fans of the show Fixer Upper or This Old House or another like home restoration show in our midst. Any fans? I see one. Okay, okay. We got some fans. Great. So these shows start with a house in the condition that you see in this top image, a place that is dilapidated, it's on its last leg, it is ready for the wrecking ball. But then someone in the show sees the good, sees the potential, sees the the good bones, as they call it, and they start the process of restoration and renovation. And after one magical hour... We, the viewers, are touring the house in the condition that you see in the bottom image here. The effect that people like Chip and Joanna Gaines have on houses is something like the effect that Jesus' followers, who live according to the Beatitudes, have on the world. We've been in the Beatitudes for the last several weeks from Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10. You can find those messages on our website, and you can find the scripture on the free app on your phone called YouVersion. Or if you'd rather have a hard copy of a Bible, we'd love to give you one today, and those are available at the Welcome Center. On the Bible timeline, we are in the Gospels, which is highlighted on this slide, in Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. So as a reminder... Here are the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say in our scripture for today, Matthew 5, verses 11 to 16, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Pastor and author Timothy Keller has summed up this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount this way. If you live at all like the Beatitudes describe, you will be salt, you will be light, and you will be hurt. 
Let me say that again. If you live at all remotely like what the Beatitudes describe, you will be salt, you will be light, and you will be hurt. Let's take each of those in order of the text. Number one, rejoice in insults. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about verse 10 and the reality of systemic, life-altering, even uh, life-ending persecution of the church. But this verse, verse 11, is more about the relational frictions that happen between people who follow Jesus and people who do not follow Jesus. Notice it says, blessed are you when people insult you. Not if people insult you, but when people insult you. If you live like the Beatitudes describe, you will be insulted, persecuted in a way. People will say evil but false things against you. And there are all kinds of ways that that can play out. And this morning, I just want to talk about one. Sometimes Jesus' followers are insulted or accused of being judgmental, narrow-minded, self-righteous. And in our context today, in our society in North America, this is one of the worst things that can be said about you. This is considered a terrible, inexcusable offense. So here's the thing. If we're really living according to the Beatitudes, let's think about what we've talked about the last few weeks. If we're really living according to the Beatitudes, then we're aware of our own spiritual poverty. We mourn over our own sin. We are humble and we are merciful. But we can still sometimes be accused of being judgmental and narrow-minded. So while it's possible for a Christian to be sinfully judgmental and it's possible for Christians to be sinfully self-righteous, it's also possible to be living according to the Beatitudes and still be accused of being judgmental. So there may be something else going on here. Remember, Jesus was humble Jesus was merciful, like the Beatitudes describe, but Jesus was also polarizing. Jesus was polarizing because he was exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That means that we can't choose any path that we want to choose to get to God. It means we can't make up our own path. Jesus is exclusive. Jesus also said, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. In other words, die to himself and follow me. So that means I can't be in charge of my own life and follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. He is exclusive. Jesus was exclusive and Jesus got a very mixed response. Some people embraced him. Other people crucified him. So if we live lives like Jesus, if we live lives that point to Jesus, if we live lives that point to the message of Jesus, we should also expect 
a mixed response. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 to 16. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. That's a mixed response. And a mixed response should be normal for a person who's following Jesus. Now notice here in Matthew 5.11, this is a conditional promise. And Jesus says, the promise applies when you are insulted because of me. This promise doesn't apply to like every kind of insult or criticism or discrimination or exclusion. I could be insulted for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons might be because of my own behavior. If I cut somebody off in traffic and she turns around and shakes her fist at me, this promise does not apply. I got that insult for a totally different reason. But if we're living according to the Beatitudes and we're insulted and ex- or excluded because of our association with Jesus, then this promise applies. And the promise is a great reward in heaven. Keep in mind that in the big, big picture, this life lasts about this long. And heaven lasts forever. And heaven is where the prophets and Jesus himself are perpetually enjoying their great rewards from everlasting to everlasting. So you and I are invited into the same experience to identify with Jesus, to be associated with him, and to share in the suffering of Jesus in this life, and then to share in the great rewards of Jesus forever, from everlasting to everlasting. So when was the last time that you were insulted, persecuted, or falsely accused because of your association with Jesus? If you're getting a mixed response that includes some insults like this, it probably means you're right on track. So blessings on you, great is your reward in heaven. Now, if you're getting an all negative response from people, if you're getting all negative, you might not be living according to the Beatitudes. That's one possibility. Now, if you're getting an all positive response, there might be something else going on. Are we getting insulted under these conditions enough? Are we getting the mixed response that Jesus talked about? Are we getting the mixed response that the Apostle Paul describes? Put a marker there because we're going to come back to this idea in a few minutes. Next up, use your saltiness. You are the salt of the earth. This is not a command to be salt or become salt or get salt. If you've said yes to Jesus, then you are salt. This is about the quality of salt we're going to be and how we're going to use our saltiness. In Bible times, the number one 
use of salt was for preserving food. Salted fish or salted meat lasts much longer than unsalted meat. Unsalted meat spoils quite quickly. Salt was also used medicinally to heal wounds, which is probably where this phrase came from that was used in Bible times, saying um, to eat salt. It meant to eat a meal with someone, indicating you're at peace with that person. You're reconciled. The relationship is preserved. It's healed. And that's quality salt being used for its best purpose. In Bible times, some of the salt that was collected turned out to be of lower quantity, quality. But it wasn't just thrown out. It was stored at the Jerusalem temple where there were marble courtyards. And when the winter rains came and made those marble floors slippery, that lower quality salt was thrown out to create some grit and traction for people walking around. And that's where this phrase comes from. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's a little different kind of salt for a different kind of purpose. So if you're not great salt, if you're not very effective, how do you become salty again? How do you become better quality salt? Well, it's by living according to the Beatitudes, which we've said over and over again is only possible as Jesus is living in us and transforming us and living through us. And what is it that we're supposed to be effective at? Well, just like salt preserves, we're to see the good and preserve the good. Build on the good in people in relationships, in neighborhoods, in organizations, in culture. And just like salt heals, we're to heal what is broken. Jesus looked at some really rough fishermen and a tax collector, and he saw the future leaders of the church. Jesus looked at a Roman soldier, a Gentile, and he saw a man of great faith, Jesus looked at a man who was demonized and violent, and he saw an evangelist. In every case, Jesus not only saw the good, but he named it, he called it forth, and he developed it like a fixer-upper house. So we can see a messy life or a hard situation and turn away. Or we can see a messy life or a hard situation, and we can lean in and look harder and look for the good or the potential for good and then name it and call it forth and develop it and make it flourish, feed it. That is quality salt being used for its best purpose. And I am so grateful that when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't only see the mess, He leans in and looks for the good and he sees the potential in me and in you and names it and calls it forth and seeks to develop it. I'm also grateful for people in my life who've done the same thing. When I was a 23-year-old occupational therapist, I took a job with a little contracting company at a large, old state institution in western Pennsylvania that served people with disabilities. 
And this institution was in a 90-day decertification period. When I say this institution was large, in its heyday before my time, there were 3,400 residents residing there, people with mental retardation and additional disabilities. And when I say it was old, it started in 1897. And our little company showed up to reform some of their processes and patient outcomes so that patient care would improve and they wouldn't get shut down. That was what was on the table. As you can imagine, we were not exactly welcomed with open arms by this union-driven labor force, people who had worked there for decades like their parents before them. Oh, but I was young optimistic and naive and ready to change the world (laughs) and I was floundering and there was a man named Doug Pickens he worked for the administration of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania at that institution he was not part of our company and he saw me floundering He saw me struggling to make headway in this process of leading change But he also saw some potential in me. And he pulled me aside and he talked to me. And he told me some things and taught me some things about the unique culture and dynamics there. And about what I could do to build trust and credibility. And it was a game changer for me in terms of my ability to contribute to the work of leading change in that place. And while it's by no means a credit to me... Things did change, and things did improve, and patient care did improve, and that facility was not shut down. Mr. Pickens didn't just look away. He was a really busy guy. He had a lot of responsibility, and that would have been the natural and easy thing for him to do. But he leaned in, and he saw potential, and he named it, and he called it forth, And he developed it, preserved it like salt. So in what life or in what relationship or in what situation does Jesus want you to use your saltiness in this season? We can't do it all, but there is something or there is someone who's part of Jesus' plan for you to invest in in this season. There's somewhere that you're supposed to use your saltiness. Use your saltiness. And use your light. You are the light of the earth. This is not a command to, be, to become light or get light. You are light if you've said yes to Jesus. This is more about how we're going to use our light. Now in Bible times, Light was a very practical need that people thought about much more than we do today. You and I have light at the flip of a switch. When we go out at night, our parking lots and our streets are lined with street lamps. Most of us are walking around with cell phones that have flashlight functions built right in. None of this was the case for people in Bible times. They had to be much more intentional about the crucial need for light. In fact, Later in this book, in Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a story. And part of the plot of the story is about how the lamps weren't ready. So if this is your context, the lamps not being ready is a really big deal. Also in Bible times, much like today, 
Light was important practically, but it was also powerful symbolically. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Now he's saying in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Light is pretty much a universal symbol for hope and truth or revelation. And we have the hope that is based on the truth of Jesus, who he is, his life's work, his promises. And he says here, allow that light to be seen. Hold it up so that it can be shared with others. Don't hide it or hoard it or hunker down with it. So let's try to reconcile what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds with what he's about to say in the next chapter three times about giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. He's about to say, don't do these things before men. Do them in secret and your father will reward you. So which is it? Before men or not before men? Well, in Matthew 5, which is our focus for today, the emphasis is on the end goal of people glorifying the Father. Let people see this so that they will glorify the Father. But in Matthew 6, Jesus is warning his followers not to be like the hypocrites whose end goal was about their own glory. So actions and words that genuinely point to God... God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Those things that really give him credit, those are good. Those are things to be done before men. Hashtag show Jesus, hashtag share Jesus. We are to offer the hope and the truth connected with the name of Jesus. Our world is in desperate need of hope that is grounded in something substantial, like the truth of Jesus. Our world needs the light. But how will they respond to it? They need it. But how will they respond to it? This is what John said about Jesus in John 3, 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And we're back to where we were, a mixed response. There will be a mixed response to the light of Jesus. Now I told you to put a marker in there when we were talking about getting insulted enough because of Jesus. I'm not sure that I'm getting insulted enough under those conditions. And I think what Jesus may be saying to me in recent weeks is that I'm not getting insulted enough because I'm not putting my lamp up on a stand. Rather, I can really default to living under a bowl or under a bushel, as the song goes. I contemplated asking you to sing that this morning. You'll be glad to know I chose not to. Here's what I mean by me living under a bowl, under a bushel. I work full-time here at DAC, and I love my work. 
And a lot of my work has to do with ministry to people who've already said yes to Jesus. And that is valid and valuable work. I live next door in a house that DAC owns. It's a house that's set back from the road and it's surrounded by trees and fences. And there are advantages to living in that house. However, I do not naturally run into neighbors when I'm coming in and out because of the setup uh, or when I'm outside doing yard work or whatever. I am single and I do not have any children. So I don't have the kinds of natural connections that can come with, oh, well, these are the people my spouse works with, or these are all the kids in my daughter's class. What I'm saying is I can really have a tendency to live under the bowl that is under these eight acres right here, under a bowl. And I need to find some stands out in the community Uh, to have even more relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus, people who need the light the most. And so I've taken some steps in the last couple of weeks uh, to put myself in those circles and to spend some time with some different people. And I'd be happy to talk with you more about that when I'm not on a microphone or being recorded for the internet. (laughs) So you might be like me. You might be looking around and recognizing that you live under a big bowl and you need to make some changes. But there's another way to be under a bowl. You can be working in the middle of the marketplace. You can be smack dab in the middle of a classroom full of students. You can be embedded in a community. Your kid can be on five sports teams and you can still be taking a little bowl with you everywhere you go. Just because you're there just because you're within proximity of people doesn't necessarily mean that you're using your light. Hashtag show Jesus. Hashtag share Jesus. We are meant to put our lights out on a stand and use our actions and our words to point to him. To use our light and then to be ready for a mixed response. So rejoice in insults. And use your saltiness and use your light. Does that sound difficult? Does it sound impossible? Well, it is impossible without Jesus inside of us. Jesus inside of us, sweating out our pores and making us salty. Without Jesus inside of us, shining out of us. He is the salt. He is the light. Remember, the scriptures are always pointing to him. They're always pointing to Jesus. He is the hero that the Beatitudes are describing. And he has that fixer-upper effect that we talked about this morning. I want us to watch this video together by an artist called Philip the Evangelist. <laughs> 